It's a hustle as old as Lyndon B. Johnson. A man sells his food stamps to another man for 50 cents on the dollar. But here's what happens when you cheat the man who's cheating the man and only give him 25 cents on the dollar. Straight up Mike Tyson. Ooh! Now we don't condone violence on the no bullshit news hour, but let's see that again. Ooh! That was a straight up crime, man. Oh, big Assault, time. battery, and hustling the food stamps. That is a crime. Those we know are crimes. But was the Mar-a-Lago document Imbroglio, was that a crime? Did Trump commit a crime? Was the Whitner kidnapping plot, was that a crime? Joining us is the lead writer in all these matters for the New York Times, my old pal, Alan Foyer with his new beard. What's up, brother? <laughs> hey, Charlie, how you doing? Uh, good, man, so we're gonna get to this. Is law enforcement in America political? I say it is at its highest levels because those that run it at the highest levels are politicians. So we'll get into that. So speaking of which, what happened to Mayor Mike Duggan and his grand jury on the demolition and the possible, quite probable, mass poisoning of Detroit? It got political. What happened to the emails he destroyed after being caught steering money to his uh, then mistress and now wife, Karen Dumas? with the exclusive interview with the whistleblower in that case, Kennedy Shannon. I don't think I've heard from her, Karen. Yeah, it's it was quite interesting. She, she, it, it's, it's good. Let me just leave it at that. You're, right, you're gonna clip, get a lot Mark. out of it, Charlie. Give me a little clip because I've been waiting to hear from her. The only way I can make an impact or suggest some change is if it hits the, the city in its pockets, right? And that's legitimately the only way that you can create this change. Mm -mm, mm -mm. Also, runaway crime in Michigan and silence from the politicos. Watch as Detroit Red gets the crack house closed with the help of the Black Panthers. Close the crack house. <laughs> the next day after the shooting, the joint should have been closed down. However, we know that DPD, unfortunately, and I'm not making excuses, they're undermanned. Mm -mm -mm. Wait for that exclusive video. <laughs> also, what you know, everybody's dogging us, Karen. Everybody dogging Why? us. Deadline Detroit closing down, and then two of the people I used to work with dogging the column that you wrote, and I'm in it, dogging me for the food I put on their table. Haters, Charlie. Haters. That's all they are. They're well, haters. damn, That's man. Fine. I ain't gone three months and you wrecked the fucking place. It's closing. <laughs> I love Alan Langle, brother. I wish you all the best. Um, but here's what's up. Y'all coming at us. The Democratic Super PAC. Mm -hmm. Remember, they took our commercial. Oh, yeah. And all the news outlets made, had to, had to make hundreds of thousands of dollars on with us in that commercial. That anti-Tudor Dixon thing. Yeah, it's the best time of the year for news because they make a lot of money on political ads yeah tons well we, you know we, we don't, didn't we don't belong to anybody we don't run political ads on the no bullshit news hour because we're for you the people but guess what they're taking it down 
We win. Hey. We'll bring you. We beat the man. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. It's well, a victory, man. That's it's good. a real victory. But first, uh, a Don't word from our. Don't you have some music for that? Don't you have some music for that, Mark, for his victory oh, now stance? You, now you ask me. Yeah, yeah not look like this, yeah, dude. That's like, a lot. Like I, I'm taking a victory lap. <laughs> All right. <laughs> word from our sponsors. Roll that, please. <laughs> I don't know why I'm in the desert in my underpants. I don't know why these wolves are following me, but I need sausage. I look in my fridge. Oh my, what do I see? Sausage. A good wiener is hard to find, so make sure you treat it kind. Sausage. You may run with a pack, but everything ain't meant to be said. Sausage. Order a Coney kit directly to your door at AmericanConeyIsland.com. Is this out here, bro? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hi, I'm David Hall from Hall Financial. The top-rated realtors in Michigan have said that our five-star certified pre-approval is a game-changer to the home-buying process. Hall Financial's focus on speed and client service allows you to take on the housing market and win. When you're ready to purchase your new home, you need to make Hall Financial your first call. The mortgage company realtors trust and buyers love. 866-CALL-HALL or chat with us at callhallfirst.com. Holy shit, this is like a, Chris, this is like a real show, dude. <laughs> we got, we so got, now you're complaining that everything's going smooth, Charlie? I mean, come on, which one do you want? That's the case, Chris. I don't know, Karen, you know. I just roll with it. I want to welcome into the studio um, Chris Frierson and Leah Harari from uh, New York Times Presents. They're, they're make, making a film here in Detroit. Thank you for having us. I really appreciate it. And welcome home, dude. Are you, you from here or Lansing? Where are you from? I'm from Lansing. My, yeah. my whole family's from Detroit, mom and dad and generations, you know. You know Lansing's now the 16th most violent city in the United States? I did not know that until I came home and started looking at the papers a couple of months ago. And I was asking my dad what was going on. He's like, people are shooting on the south side. Yep. And Jeez. they ain't saying a damn thing to your dad about it, bro. Nothing. Yep. He's retired. Poor motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he can move into Mar-a-Lago. What a segue, because I want to welcome back a good friend of mine, one of my favorite guests, Alan Foyer of the New York Times, who's writing about the FBI raid, the unprecedented raid on a you know, former president's home, never been done before. He also covers extremism on all sides in the United States. So he knows what's going on uh, with the Wolverine Watchmen in the trial uh, on the west side of Michigan, the Whitmer kidnapping plot. What's up, brother? Hey, Charlie. How you doing? Good, man. Uh, I, I, the fucking beard. <laughs> you know, I woke up like this one day. It just happened, man. I didn't, you know, I, didn't, I wasn't even trying. I know. No, no, dude. It's like you're, you're, you're trying to get in good with the militia. <laughs> like you're undercover. That's no, this is so when I go to Tractor Supply. You know what I mean. I just walk in. I get I get the beard discount when I get my 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 pine shavings for my ducks. <laughs> That's all it That's takes true. is how you look. Okay. <laughs> hey, dude, I don't even know where to go with this Trump thing. Like, should I care? I mean, he's got a yeah. investigation going on in Georgia. There's two concerning January six. There's two in the state of new york about the trump organization some part of me feels like a leonard skinnard song about you know does watergate does not bother me should i be bothered 
I mean, I think you should care because, on you know, as you said, the search itself is unprecedented. We've never had a, a former president who got his house, um, you know, searched by, you know, under a warrant by the FBI. And as this investigation moves forward, we're going to find out how serious it is. You know, at, at first, it seemed like there was a possibility, like this was just the FBI going down to Mar-a-Lago and getting back documents that, you know, arguably shouldn't have been there. Yeah. But what the whole battle over the search warrant as it's, you know, should it be unsealed? Should it remain sealed? Should it be uh, unsealed in a redacted way has revealed is that there is um, a more serious investigation going on that involves things like, did the former president obstruct a federal investigation by having those documents down in Mar-a-Lago? Did he willfully retain, that's the words in the, in the statute at hand, did he willfully retain national defense information we don't really know exactly what that means yet, but that's serious. And then there's, you know, did he kind of mishandle government records? So, yeah, you should care. It's a serious thing. And we'll but, find you out know, I, as it goes on. I'm sitting over here. I'm like, that, that better be the blueprints for the nuclear bomb. You know what I mean? Because, look, uh, did Trump was impeached. You know, he did obstruct justice. He asked uh, William McGahn, right, the solicitor general, to lie. To lie about a crime, ultimately, he didn't commit. So, sure, but what are they hoping to find in the affidavit that they want unsealed? What do you think is in there, dude? So, yeah, so the affidavit, um, if you see it in its fully uh, written, unredacted form, it's going to tell you a couple of important things. One, it's going to tell you why the FBI believes there was probable cause that um, there was evidence of a crime that could be found at Mar-a-Lago. Um, two, it's going to give you a kind of narrative about everything leading up to the search. So, you know, it sort of leaked out into the into the media that there was this attempt by the Justice Department to get these documents back that came before the invasive step of sending FBI agents to Mar-a-Lago. So the so the the affidavit is probably going to tease out like how many times the Justice Department tried to get the documents back and failed and in what ways? Because one of the things you have to convince a judge of, uh, of to sign a search warrant is like, yes, say, your honor, we tried a bunch of different ways short of, you know, like invading someone's personal property to get this stuff back. It's always you want to do the least invasive method possible so that the affidavit will have that. The affidavit will also um, probably lay out um, some of the evidence that the government has um, against Trump, including um, information given to them by witnesses that prosecutors have interviewed. Probably won't identify the witnesses by name. It'll probably say witness one told us X, Y, Z. Witness two told us X, Y, Z. But it might say... The snitches. Well, I mean, look, there's... So there's, there's, there's a different way to cut this, right? You know, um, if somebody was, let's say, sent to Mar-a-Lago specifically for the purpose of spying on the former president, what was going on in Mar-a-Lago, that's closer to what you would call a snitch or an informant. But if 
after the fact, right, there was a, a Mar-a-Lago employee, someone on, you know, President Trump's staff, whoever, who, you know, the government went to after and was like, hey, will you help us understand what you saw, what you heard and what went on? I, I don't know. That's not that's that's something different. That's a that's a witness. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. there's no indication right now that they had like prearranged informants. What we know from at least what you know what what it, what it appears to be from the the stuff we've seen and heard from the prosecutors in court and in the papers is that they're dealing with witnesses who saw and heard stuff and then you know essentially gave interviews. The stuff we to, saw in uh, the papers. The, the stuff I saw in the papers was your stuff. So the stuff you know, let's just put No, 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 I'm saying in the papers, like the, the court papers, the stuff uh, that's come out in, uh, yeah, 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 sorry. But again, I look, I, I feel like at the highest levels, I don't believe this is like some Biden Democratic National Committee uh, cabal to get him. Like they all got in a room and said, let's get this guy. That'd be giving him too much credit. <clears throat> yeah, I, I, you know what I mean? What do you mean? Well, you're giving them credit that they're going to come together to make something up like this. But uh, let me ask you, Alan, I look at it like they're in a crucible. I, like I, yeah. They can't see how that plays out here. So yep. I'm still curious as to why you can't just dick around with the guy. You know, just keep letting it drag on unless these things were pretty heavy documents that shouldn't be out there. I, I think, to me, they diminish the institution of the presidency by making moves like this because it's now going to happen to the next going to happen to you know biden i mean look I, i'm sure that all of that factored into the decision making inside the justice department but you know at, you know uh, you know how do you kind of make a decision where on the one hand if you believe if you're the attorney general of the united states and you believe there's probable cause that you know evidence of a crime is sitting in a place and that place happens to be the home base of the former president on the one hand you have a duty to act, but on the other hand, you 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 have to be aware of the fact that it's going to cause a big stir. And so, when the subject of a federal investigation is a former president, right? That you know, like, is himself a politician. You know, there it, it, this whole thing is taking place in a political context. When the when the material that they're worried about getting back or that they think may have been mishandled came out of the White House, the seat of American politics, right? Yep. The context is inevitably political. But at the same time, there's no, there's certainly there's no evidence at this point that there was any kind of partisan decision-making that went on. I yeah, but look, I mean, the guy, let's say it's all true, blah, 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 blah. What kind of penalty would he face? Would he go to prison? Would he be fined like Sandy Berger? Not be able to run for president again? Yeah. So, so the, the most, the most, I mean, interestingly, the most serious um, crime that we know is being investigated, and we know that, that there are these three crimes that I mentioned, obstruction, um, you know, willful retention of uh, national defense documents, and then government, you know, mishandling of government documents. The one that carries the most serious penalty is actually the obstruction uh, charge. That, hmm. believe it or not, carries a max of 20 years. Not saying that that would ever happen, but that's that one carries the most serious penalty. Then you step down from that, the the, the willful retention, um, you know, it, it, that that's a a, a a piece or a, like a subset 
of a larger law called the Espionage Act, which doesn't necessarily have to do with spying. But, you know, you could get conceivably someone who's got one document wrongly in their possession under the Espionage Act. You could get 10 years for that. You could know, you imagine? Could you imagine jail, I mean, jailing a former that's, president? That's just that's just maximum. Not that's just like what the law permits. That's not, you know, necessarily. Well, first of all, let's back up. No charges have been filed. Right. Right. Um, and, you know, then you've got to go through the court case and then you've got to get to a sentencing. I'm just telling you what the maximum under those laws is. What a zoo, because, you know, this is redolent of if I could imagine that scenario. You know, I, I spent time with, you know, militia groups, as you have, Alan. And you remember the, the Clive and Bundy, the ranch, and they came to take the, the cattle. And, and uh, it was an armed standoff, like former vets against FBI agents who are former vets, like brother against brother. Like this, how is this all flipping now on FBI agents who, you know, follow orders from politicians? <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, look, after the after the search of Mar-a-Lago, obviously, um, you know, people reacted very strongly. And, you know, among the strong reactions were attacks on the the kind of, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, like 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 the 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 authority of the FBI and whether that, you know, the FBI had overreached. And, you know, you, you can make an argument uh, about whether the FBI did the right thing or didn't do the right thing without it bordering into calls for violence, um, you know, like, you know, like we're in civil war, you know, targeting individual agents that that was out there in spades. There was a lot of that stuff. And it wasn't just on like, you know, like, you know, crazy fringe chat boards. You know, you had people with real platforms and positions saying something like that. And frankly, it had an effect. You know, you saw that a couple of days after, you know, this team of FBI agents showed up in Mar-a-Lago, a guy outside of Cincinnati shows up, you know, with um, with a rifle at the Cincinnati field office and essentially tries to get into the place armed. He's chased away, right? The local cops follow him, the states follow him, and he ends up shot to death after, uh, you know, trading gunfire with these local police officers, um, you know, after like an hours long standoff. It's crazy. So reminds me of the I, bird I sanctuary in, in Oregon. It's I mean, it reminds me of the bird sanctuary sanctuary in Oregon. Say, I don't look, man, without a national police force. Can you imagine what this country would look like? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I can't believe I'm hearing politicians calling for the abolition of the FBI. It's, it's fucking stupid. And if this was political, this would be a very dumb political move because it's helped them. It's helped them raise money. It's helped them in the polls. I mean, I, it, which is possible, I guess. I don't, it would be giving too much credit again for not realizing the effects of what would happen. True. Now, again, I'm pro-cop. I, I know FBI agents. Yeah. You know, I know federal agents. I talked to them this week. Nothing but respect. But just like anything, like police, like reporters, there's always a couple of goofballs and bad apples. And, Every you know, institution. Which, which brings me to um, the Wolverine Watchmen being tried in uh, uh, the west side of the state, Adam Fox and Barry Croft Jr. What do you make of that case, Alan? It, it, was that interesting? Well, that, that- I haven't, I haven't, so I followed this one kind of from a distance, but I know enough that 
it's one of those situations where, you know, the FBI will use, this is much more, we were talking about informants before. Yeah. This is a case where the FBI informants were front and center. And I think that, you know, just look at what happened in the first trial. A jury, uh, you know, of, of Michiganders looked at the evidence and they were like, you know what? Michiganians. Us, like, Michiganians? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. Gander. Gander. Hey, wait, see, that's, anyway. that's how the, the name came about. It was Abraham Lincoln making fun of us because right. like, we sounded like geese. Mr. Gander, 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 whack, whack, whack. Mr. Hey, I'm an Ohio guy, so, you know, like, what do I know? I, well, I, I tell you, let me tell you something about Cleveland. You're from Cleveland, bro. I love Cleveland. Cleveland. Yeah. Cleveland. I love Cleveland. You know what I like about Cleveland, bro? I could stop. What? I stop. I get some gas. I take a shit, and I keep on going. <laughs> Go blue. You walked into that one. Anyway, to answer your question... To answer your question, the you know the jury in the first trial kind of made clear by their verdict they acquitted two and they and they hung on the other two defendants that the FBI informants probably took a leading role in pushing the conspiracy forward, right? Yeah. In a way that it left the jurors wondering, but for the informants, would there have been a crime committed? And and that's something that the FBI has kind of done in other cases too. You, you know, I, I can think of a, a bunch of um, Islamic terrorism cases that I've covered where the FBI informants are the ones who are kind of pushing the action forward, right? Mm -hmm. As opposed to the defendant pushing the action forward. And that that's a that's a technique and it's a it's a you know standard method of operation. But you really, you know, you leave yourself open to accusations of entrapment and, you know, like essentially just like playing dirty pool. And I think that the Michigan case, you know, fits neatly into one of like into that side of things. And look, we'll see what the jury says in this case. But the jury kind of they you know, their answer was pretty clear in the first case. I mean, I think um, it's, I think it's weird that the guy driving the recon vehicle is the FBI informant. The guy in the truck who's got the dynamite is an FBI agent that the the trips and the training was all set up by the FBI. They encouraged it. So this case, I, I, I don't know, but I do know that the former head of the Detroit field office in charge of this, um, what's his name, man? D'Antuano. D'Antuano. Right? Steve D'Antuano. D'Antuano, yeah. So he's now in charge of the Washington field office and the January 6th investigation, right? I mean, yeah. it, for the temperature... Of the country, this is just a bad look. It's just a bad, yep. fucking look. Do you want? Do you want? Do you want my two minutes on? I mean, yeah. that's true. The that's why I'm having you on, dude. Of, I'd rather yeah, not so, say so, anything. So I can listen my, to you all my, day. Here's my three three minutes on why the you can't compare it to January sixth. Okay. So the most important thing about an FBI informant case, particularly one that opens itself up to accusations that the FBI is trying to entrap people is that, get this, nothing ever actually happens, right? Mm. So the whole plot to kidnap Gretchen Whitmer <coughs> didn't actually happen. And there's a reason for that. They don't want the actual violence that they're pitching to the defendants to go down. So if, you know, the, you know, the way that an FBI informant case works is, I'm the, I'm the undercover guy. I go to the target. I say, hey, Mr. Target, 
would you like to commit a crime with me? And the target goes, you bet, Mr. Undercover, I would love to commit a crime with you. And then the undercover goes, okay, on Saturday, meet me in this remote location, very far away from any risky thing, no danger around us, and we'll commit that crime. And then guess what happens? The target shows up at that remote location and he gets arrested. That's how an FBI informant case works. And frankly, you could see, at least you could have a reasonable conversation about, was that guy entrapped? Would he have done it but for the invitation? That's fine. We can have that conversation. All I'm saying is, if that were the scenario on January 6th, here's what would have happened. There would have been an informant inside, let's say, the Proud Boys, right? Mm. Or the Oath Keepers or whoever. The informant would have said, hey, Proud Boys, let's attack the Capitol on January 6th. And the guys would have said, yeah, let's attack the Capitol on January 6th. And then on, they said, the, the informant would have said, okay, on January 4th, meet me at this abandoned mine outside of Fredericksburg, Maryland. I'm making this up, of course. You know, and then the guys would have said, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll go there and we'll plan and we'll practice. And then when they I showed thought, up- I actually thought you were talking about John Brown and Frederick Douglass meeting. <laughs> I'm just saying that's, okay. that's how that scenario would have played out. You know what I mean? Yes, I do. It's really well done, actually. So I, I, I just don't know, but I would, I would say this, I guess. Of course, law enforcement, and we're, we're, we're going we're gonna to get to local if you want to hang with us, Alan. If you got to get back here and write big-time journalism, please do. But um, the question is, is law enforcement politicized? And I think absolutely it is. Because in the end, it's controlled by an attorney general who's, who's appointed by an elected official. Uh, a, a mayor, like in our town, has a lot of power and strength to slow investigations down. I think absolutely it is. So before we get into locally, let me just give me Luke Nowak. Yeah, just word from our underwriters here. Uh, overreaction is not a strategy for the long-term investor. Neither is uh, burying your head in the sand and hoping it all turns out for the best. Call my friend Luke Nowacki at Pinnacle Wealth, 248-663-4748. Rational financial advice in an irrational time. There it is. Better late than never. Yeah. It's Maurice Davis. Never late is better. King of the party blues. When it comes to security. Inflation, interest rates, what's your move? Stocks, bonds, gold. Do you move your 401k? What about your college savings plan? Is your company in the right investments? Is your pension fund meeting its projected return? Get that advice. Get the strategy. Luke Nowacki, Pinnacle Health, 248-663-4748. Get that on now. You gotta loop that for me, right? I like that, because I want to tell you about Legacy Partners Insurance. When you watch TV, you're bombarded with insurance ads promising to save you money, aren't you? All the time. But if you really want to save money, you need my new sponsor, Legacy Partners Insurance. Mark, do you use Legacy Partners Insurance? I did, and they saved me a couple grand So on my home and my auto. A yeah. couple grand. And it was easy. Okay. so True testimony. I've been telling you about how they can help you with Medicare, so you remember that, right? I'm going to tell you how they can save you money on all your insurance needs, your home, your car, your boat, your RV, your motorcycle. Wow. Whoever you are, you got a lot of shit. <laughs> you got to insure it all. Yeah, you're going to need to say some money. They're independent. 
So they uh, shop for you, basically, between seven and ten carriers for your insurance to find you the best deal. Okay? They're doing your homework. And then when you get your quote, you'll be mad at your current insurance carrier. They're right. I'm paying too much. I am doing this. I will be doing this Monday. Here's what I need you to do. Call 586-209-4106 and tell them I sent you. Now, here's a really big prize. Say the number again slower, Charlie, because everybody always asks for the number again. So slow it down. I'm going to do. Okay. Thank you, Karen. Just for getting a quote and telling them I sent you, you'll be put in for a drawing for a $50 gift card. So you'll get into a drawing for a $50 gift card. So uh, call or go to Legacy Partners. Tell them you heard it here. I'm going to do it like Gretchen Whitmer's press conferences. <laughs> Five, eight, six, <laughs> two, oh, nine, four, one, oh, six. Cool? You didn't have a mask on. We're clapping now. Yay. <laughs> okay. I told you in May that the feds told the city to start with 200 holes and look at it. These demolition holes. Every hole came up dirty that they tested. Half of them are poison. They said they were going to rope it off, inform the neighbors, and get it out of there. It's the last third of August. Here's a picture. Nothing. The people live next to it. Children live in those homes. It's not roped off. Nothing's done. And we have 20,000 holes like this. So what, what happens? I told you about this demolition, a quarter of a billion dollars in federal money. Collusion, bid rigging, secret meetings, the feds acknowledge it, I know them, I talked to them in Washington, right? But this occurred in 2014. Hmm. Statue of limitations, folks. Statue, of li- so everybody drags their feet. The mayor bottles it up. This is supposed to be empty, but guess what? It's $4 million to empty 200 holes. Who's gonna pay for it? So you just drag it, and you the people, you the people, our children get to live next to this, our tax dollars get this. They're not doing anything. So how does a mayor accomplish that? Well, you got friends in Washington. Well, you hire lawyers, right? You you duck, you dodge, you obfuscate, you confuse. But I'm I'm getting a little breaking news. I'm now told the feds want the demolition records from Wayne County. Remember these kids? Play that. Play it again. Keep looping that. Look at these babies. Look at these rocks. Look at this shit that they did. Keep keep playing that. This was 2015-16. I'm going to go find those kids again. What'd you do, dude? Okay, so, Karen, right? Remember when the mayor was caught, Midnight Mike was on his booty call, driving to his mistress's house in the suburbs, and it turns out she was getting city money for a pet program that he denies he helped her get, or that she actually got it. Remember? Yes, I remember that they stood up and with a straight face denied any of those allegations or the relationship or the channeling of money or raising of funds for that organization, all of which were later found out to be true. Yeah, so the background is uh, enemy of the mayor's Bob Karnak put a tail on him 
And he had the private eye on him and he caught him on video doing it. And then he's driving around downtown Detroit with a tractor trailer with a big electric <laughs> billboard mm -hmm. showing it mm -hmm. because nobody in the media would touch it because mm -hmm. they don't touch that's anything. True. And that's how they get away with it. All right. So <laughs> in order to cover their tracks, emails started getting deleted, right? Which is a crime. Yeah. It's a crime in Michigan. But our attorney general, political, looks into it and says, uh, it's not a crime because the emails were retrieved. So they really weren't. It, was, and, it wasn't her husband working for the city at the time? Yeah. Oh, wait. Okay. Uh, no, no. That's that the point. Secretary Benson. of State. Yeah. Her oh, husband was caught up. In, okay. Her husband right. was caught up in deleting them. And then her husband right. goes off to work for Ross, mm -hmm. who wants $100 million of public money to build something. You getting this? Are you getting, getting this? It's all connected. <laughs> it's good. Disgusting. So. The whistleblower, Kennedy Shannon. I mean, this is, a, this is a good get. What the fuck happened? Kennedy, what happened? She got fired for blowing the whistle? Yeah, she did, actually. She lost her job. And for a long time, as she explained uh, uh, in, in part of the interview, she was having difficulty even finding another job because after working for the city, of course, they're going to call the city. And she talked about the reach of the mayor uh, and, and the influence. So for a long, she had to cash in her 401k uh, and she's in the middle of a lawsuit. All right, so this is, uh, this is that exclusive interview with the whistleblower. Uh, it's a good job here, Karen. All right, Kennedy, thank you for sitting down with me today. So you are a former employee of the city of Detroit. Correct, so I was employed with the city for about three and a half years um, in the Office of Grants Management. While I was there, my title was the Assistant Director of Grants Management for Neighborhood and Economic Development. And then my title switched to uh, Assistant Director of Grants Management for Reimbursement and Closeout. And overall, my job was to review grants, make sure that we're following federal compliance requirements, making sure that everything is there for us to then request reimbursement from the federal government because most of these grants are on a reimbursement basis, and just to make sure that we're following federal protocol with regards to these grants. And somewhere along the line, you saw something that uh, caused you to raise an eyebrow that, that, that gave you pause for concern. What did you see? So first, it started off with the restructuring of the department. So when uh, first off, our department was created out of the bankruptcy. Mm -hmm. My job was to approve the final draw. Okay. So, so not to investigate or determine if, in fact, the there was compliance or that the applications well, that were okay. That right. too. I did that first, and once I was confident that we had been compliant, I would sign off on us to then go to the, get the money from the feds. Okay. And I did that on 15 programs that were all HUD-based because I was hired for my expertise. HUD. I had previous HUD experience working on grants, but I didn't know much about transportation grants or police grants or fire grants. And now I'm being asked to sign off and essentially approve these federal draws. And I'm like, but I have no basis of knowledge for any of this. And so the first thing I did was I sent an email to the then CFO at the time with this complaint. Now, I'd already taken my concerns to Caterly Bounds, who was my new boss and Ryan Friedrichs, who was her boss and who was over the entire department. Um, I got nowhere. Neither of them had any HUD experience. Neither of them really had any grant experience, oddly enough, right? But they're the two running this department that has grants. So when I saw I was getting nowhere with them, I sent an email to the CFO and I detailed all of my concerns. And in the very first paragraph I put, I've already taken these concerns to Caterly and Ryan. I feel as if they're not listening. So here I am bringing these concerns to you. He wrote me back 
please take your concerns to Caterly and Ryan before bringing them to me. So that let me know, one, you didn't read my email. You saw it and forwarded it on. Um, or he's trying to make sure too, you know, deal with the people in your department, don't leave me out. Leave of it. me out of it, but it's like once I've already brought these concerns to them, and, and part of my issue with that was compliance, right? How do we guarantee compliance on 150 different grant programs? I definitely can't, and I'm not going to be signing off on these different grant programs that I have no basis of knowledge for because it opens me personally up to liability because here I am signing saying this program is complying with all federal regulations, right? I felt as if they wanted somebody to kind of rubber stamp these particular programs and being the only attorney in the department and coming from that background, I knew what my legal requirements were. I knew what the requirements of the job were, and I knew that I was dealing with two bosses who had no knowledge of the space. It's extremely frustrating, right, when you're talking about things that neither of your bosses have any knowledge about, but then you're expected to perform, and when you don't, it's considered insubordination, right? So that's what I was kind of up against. That was just the beginning of the iceberg of, of us restructuring. And so in looking through these invoices, there were things missing, drastic things missing. So say, for instance, they said they spent $200,000 thousand dollars but they only provided documentation to substantiate eighty thousand of that so I would have to what we would call disallow costs mm -hmm. which means you've not proven to me that these costs meet federal regulations so I'm not going to give you the two hundred thousand you asked for I'm only going to give you eighty but you have an opportunity to provide me at a later date these documents to get this other hundred and twenty for example so as I started digging into the program, I started noticing that a lot of the money that these programs were spending weren't going to the small businesses. Where were they going? They were going to consultants. We're in a meeting room, the whole team, myself, members from the HRD department, the Housing Revitalization Department, and DGC comes out and tells us, we have $13,000 in our bank account. We need you to keep approving these invoices because if we don't, there are going to be vendors that are gonna to go to the media and say that they've not been paid. Okay. So again, that's news to me, right? Because this is a multi-million dollar program and you're telling me you have $13,000 in your bank account. As someone who looks at compliance, that denotes to me several things. One, your money management as a department is horrible, right? You, you couldn't afford to float this program. Severe mismanagement of funds. Severe mismanagement. And if you're at the point now where your invoices can't be paid and you've got vendors threatening to go to the media about this program. So they want to extract money from that to, for sustainability. Yeah. So once that happened, everybody's like, well, we got to get these invoices paid. Never mind the issues of compliance that still have not been rectified and have not been addressed. So what did you take away from that meeting? I mean... I took away from that meeting that it was more important that the program show good face or that the program appeared to be ongoing versus actually addressing the compliance issues. So did you approve the invoices thereafter? Not. You did not. Did, did and not. what did your superior say? So at that particular point, I did not approve the invoices. I sent a very long email about why I would not approve the email, I mean the invoices. And the response was? And, and the response was I was being insubordinate. They're, they're, they're penalizing you for doing the job that exactly. they brought you in to do. That they brought me in to do, and because I'm not rubber stamping this, right, it's insubordination. So after that, Caterly signed off okay. on it, and roughly about a month after that, I was suspended and terminated. Okay, but we're missing something else that you uh, saw that you are also now a whistleblower on it, and that is the Make Your Date program. Correct. Tell me a little bit about that. So Make Your Date is another program that is funded by the city of Detroit. It is a program 
designed for women who are um, who have at risk for birth defects for their children. Great program, overall good program. During this time that this was going on was the Make Your Date um, concern. And so a lot of the funding dealing with Make Your Date came from private donations and private funders, but that's all within our department. So I'm watching the news one day because apparently this had kind of become an issue. Uh, I believe Robert Carmack had brought to the forefront that the mayor was having some sort of un, you know, defined at the time or relationship. relationship outside of his exactly. Marriage. The city denied that it was anything, and the, the mayor wouldn't comment on the nature. But Bob Carmack said it was an affair at the time and had video and these things. And so when people started to dig into her background, they realized that she ran the Make Your Date program. And so of course, here we are as a city fundraising for this Make Your Date program. And so I'm watching a news conference where this has kind of come. Now, is fundraising for a program such as that, is that permissible by the city when most of the donations were? It's permissible, but it's rare. Okay. So usually the city fundraises on behalf of city departments. We don't usually fundraise on behalf of separate nonprofit organizations. So you're matching these two things together and you do what? And so I'm, I'm looking at this and I'm seeing Alexis Wiley at the time on the news. We've never raised money for Make Your Day. And I'm like, I've been in meetings where we talked about raising the money for Make Your Day. So of course around the office is the water cooler. Like, did you guys see the session? All during this time, an employee by the name of Monique Phillips, who actually worked in the department that raised money for Make Your Day, came into my office and she said, can I speak with you? And I said, yes. And we were friends, she knew I was an attorney. And she said, I need you to put your attorney hat on for this conversation. So I said, okay. She said, I don't know anybody else to trust to bring this information to. And I said, well, what is it? She said, well, I know you've been following the make your date stuff. I said, yes. She said, well, we were asked to delete emails regarding make your date. And I she said, she did. She said, by Ryan Friedrichs. So now here I am in the role of compliance. I know this information. I can't unknow this information now, right? And I'm an attorney, so I feel like I have an ethical obligation now to, to share this information. But now I've got it, right? I'm burdened. How do I share it without getting fired myself? So what did you do? So I reached out to the media. Reached out to the media secretly, had been working with Joe Gillian from the Free Press, giving him information. And around this time, the Free Press was trying to get these emails related because the free press knew that it had been fundraising going on. They went to the individual foundations that gave money to the program and for their documents. And once they got that, they were able to go to the city and say, well, you clearly lied, right? But, but what actually ended up happening as a result? I mean... So they deleted these emails, right? City comes forward and says, yep, we deleted them, but we got them back. We've recovered them miraculously. We put them on this website for transparency, right? Because that, that says transparent, right? We undeleted them, but then there's a little caveat at the bottom of that. We cannot be sure that these are all of the emails that were included. There's a little asterisk. So you tell us these are all emails, but you can't confirm that in fact they are. For con context, this isn't one or two pages of emails. It's over 200 pages of emails. And these aren't emails with a plethora of different topics. They were all related to make your days. But you talked about too that, you know, given the situation that the city had gone through with text messaging under the Kilpatrick administration, that everybody, you would have expected them to be a little more conscientious. Absolutely. Uh, have a little more integrity in, in terms of what they were doing and how they were doing what they were asking for. And I guess I'm trying to figure out if this isn't something that they were supposed to be doing or something that they would deny, who would be dumb enough to put it in an email? Who would be dumb enough to put it in an email, right? And I think once they figured out they were dumb enough to put it in an email, they're like, we've got to delete these emails. 
So what did, what did you decide to do to protect yourself thereafter? Now you're, you're out of a job. I, right. So at this point, I'm out of a job, right? I had to cash in my 401k because I had no money to live on, right? I went from making over six figures a year to zero, right? And not only that, but now I'm on the mayor's shit list, pardon my French, right? So every job I apply for in the city, I'm blacklisted, right? Because most nonprofits, which is most of my previous work experience, get money from the city. So it's like, as a director of a nonprofit, and you know it, this person's on the mayor's shit list, you're not gonna hire me. And what do you wanna see as a resident of the city of Detroit? Uh, you know, you talked about corruption and just seeing how things were mismanaged or not handled the way that it could and, and what it meant to you as a resident. What would you like to see or what are you asking for in the outcome of this lawsuit? Well, one, you know, I feel like with the city, the only thing that they recognize are lawsuits. That's the only way to kind of get anything changed, sadly enough, and it's unfortunate, right? Because when the city's OIG comes to the mayor and says, you need to change this, right? You need to, you need to discipline these employees. You need to do this. And the mayor does none of that. So it's probably safe to assume that this is still going on. Absolutely. So the only way I can make an impact or suggest some change is if it hits the, the city in its pockets. Right? And that's legitimately the only way that you can create this trend. Wow. Jeez. Karen, wow. That was, it, it, it was good, Charlie. She was knowledgeable. She was articulate. She was very detailed. Um, and it was not surprising, but extremely disappointing um, because these are those small veins of corruption that compromise and undermine the ability to provide the kind of quality of life that residents in the city of Detroit deserve. I mean, it, it, it is. And so when people say, oh, we're bringing in, you know, a person that's qualified and committed, okay, but that qualification and that commitment has a line drawn if that person doesn't want to participate in something that is unethical and possibly in this case, illegal. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's unfortunate. And the point is like, all of that is true. It's, it's not disputed, the facts. It's the interpretation of the facts, right? The mayor had the right yeah. to do that and the emails, okay, they were deleted, but they were able to be retrieved. This gets back to, to the whole point again of, again, when, when the attorney general, uh, Dana Nessel, is very close to Mike Duggan, the mayor of Detroit, you don't get any justice. Nothing, nothing stops. Nobody answers for That's anything. True. Everything that the and office Charlie, of inspector general said doesn't happen. Go ahead, I'm sorry. Yeah, and and the and and the and the um, uh, inspector general uh, substantiated, you know, I guess some of her concerns or claims. But you know, she said that the only way that she could uh, hope for some resolution was through hitting the city in its pocketbook. But you know, risk management. If you look through the uh, city council agenda, they pass out money like they're making it down there. So unfortunately, that's not going to do anything either. The only thing that seems to have any type of small, perhaps significant impact is when there's public attention to what's going on. And if there's public scrutiny and there's public pressure, um, but when the media just kind of sweeps things under the rug or when the administration maintains control of the narrative, people don't know and people don't respond. And so the status quo continues. And then, you know, I mean, we celebrated like it was uh, Charles and Diana's wedding. The mayor's wife divorces him. And then the mayor turns around and marries this woman. And nobody goes, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. 
nobody said a word, Charlie. They were like, oh, we're so glad that he's happy. I mean, and everybody, I'm sure I'm glad that he's happy too, but had that been any And she can't else, testify on him either. And she cannot testify, exactly. And no, and that's that's some of the uh, uh, <laughs> breakfast table conversation that people are having, that some people really believe that that was the basis of that marriage. You know what they should do? Like to get these departments in order you call ADR, experience, Overseeing more than 250 million in private and public construction projects, overseeing demolition, uh, uh, upkeep on uh, homes for the aged, all kinds of stuff. That's what they do. You reduce your costs, increase your bottom line. ADR has saved clients millions because we just talked about compliance. They're experts in compliance, uh, in procurement and government contracting, information technology, honest, ethical, smart. That's Barry Ellentuck. For sure. Honest, ethical, smart, 248-318-9424 for a consultation. Get the job done right, on time, honestly, and on budget. ADR Consultants, 248-318-9424. Now, <laughs> can I go move on to the next issue? Yes. Facing us as a people. It's crime. Now, Time Magazine, whose journalist geniuses once overpaid for that house in Detroit near you, Karen, so the reporters could move here and stare at us and tell us stuff about ourselves we apparently didn't know. Yep, they're at it again. <laughs> of all the places to visit in America, they now say Detroit is one of the world's greatest places. I'm going to quote here. Nearly 10 years after Detroit filed for bankruptcy, the magazine writes, travelers can now play a role in the city's vibrant economic recovery simply by driving through. How about that? Like that, just drive on through. You can help us out. So Lock yes, your doors. yes, yes, please drive through and see our crack houses. Of particular interest is the one where seven were shot and two murdered two weeks ago. Inexplicably, that crack house was still inhabited. Walk-up service may be available still, but I highly unrecommend it. Okay? Just, if you're gonna drive through, don't stop. Be sure to stop and see Courtney, a homeowner there who can't sell. She had to coexist with the den of dope fiends for the better part of four years. She's been complaining to the city, but they must be too busy preparing public relations pamphlets for their pals at Time Inc. Fact is, crime has made Detroit nearly unlivable, and nobody in a position of elected power is saying a word about it, especially the mayor. We are in the midst of the midterms elections. He's not. But where is the talk of the failing criminal justice system? Governor Gretchen Whitmer is running and her Republican challenger, Tudor Dixon, is running. But they're both AWOL on the issues of pandemic violence and public safety. There's nothing from the congressional candidates either. Attorney General Dana Nessel seems more interested in pinning down her Republican challenger, Matt DiPerno, with threats of an election conspiracy investigation and DiPerno counters with shouts of election conspiracies of his own and neither offers a cogent idea about runaway crime, precisely the thing the attorney general is hired to do. Instead, Nessel and DiPerno insist on litigating the culture wars while ignoring the low burning wars in the streets. Now all y'all that watch the show know Kim Worthy, the Wayne County prosecutor, she told all of us that the courts have a backlog of three years. Some people presumed to be innocent are rotting in the county jail. Others are walking around on tether who shouldn't be. And underpaid prosecutors are heading for the door. 
There's the case of Avion Sanders. I told you about him. The man accused in last month's murder of Jacob Hill, a teenager from Genesee County. Back in 2020, Sanders was charged with a raft of crimes, including assault with intent to commit murder after he fired at least six shots at his baby mama before barricading himself in an apartment with his four-year-old. Over the next year and a half, Sanders saw his bail lowered to $5,000 from $500,000, and his charges were whittled down so egregiously that Sanders ultimately pled guilty to a single count of resisting arrest. Even then, Sanders never showed for his sentencing and no one went to look for him. And it's not just Detroit. Seven other Michigan cities cracked the top 40 for the most violent in America. According to one recent review of FBI crime data, they are Flint, Pontiac, Saginaw, Lansing, Lansing, Jackson, Kalamazoo, and my dear little friend in the west side of Wayne County, Inkster. Naturally, a lineup like this puts Michigan in the top 10 for the most violent states in America. There we are, along with the fine people of Arkansas and Tennessee. Note the Time Magazine editors. Check out the grits at the Waffle House in Little Rock. They're literally to die for. According to polls, crime is amongst the most important issues to American voters, but in Michigan, you hear butt kiss. No talk about police funding, or training, or how to unclog an overboarding jail and court system. So, if you're thinking of driving through Detroit as one of the world's greatest places, remember a few general rules of thumb. They are, avoid getting gas at night, stoplights can be optional, and if you suffer a fender bender, don't get out. Head directly for a cop. If you can find one. Wow. <laughs> the crack house was still open. That's amazing. Charlie, Charlie, Charlie. I, and, and, and I'm thinking about our conversation last week and you say if you're in a fender bender, you know, once upon a time, they tell you to go to a police station. If you go to a police station, the doors are locked. Like, what do you do? So, I mean, we, we've got some minor adjustments to make, to say the least. <laughs> uh, let's get real, right? Okay, so people are dogging us. Uh, you, you don't, you know what I mean, Karen? You say, uh, you don't love the city. Baby. Us? Yeah, okay, me. Us? <laughs> you are dogging the... us, Charlie? All right, yeah, they were dogging you. You, you. you got dogged by Deadline Detroit, too, now. Can't believe it. Oh, yes, it. I have been dragged. <laughs> yeah, Karen, she doesn't want to be with me anymore. <laughs> They're causing, they're causing rift in our household, Karen. Don't believe them. Don't believe them. I, I, I can't believe they would do that. Man, I worked with you, man. Yeah, don't believe them, especially, Call a douche. If, especially after that piece you just did, Karen. It was a good piece. Don't see anybody else talking to the whistleblower. Yeah, you know, I mean, uh, somebody used to work at a deadline. Detroit it says, you know, not to anybody's face, of course. You work for them for years. They don't say anything. And they say, uh, about Karen's piece about, you know, the, the, the governor not yeah, doing interviews for, with, mm -hmm. with the, with the local or the state press, as you said, there, there's, um, there's something to be written about that. And this isn't it. And I'm like, okay, if this isn't it, where were you? Yeah. You were up your head up her ass while old people were dying and you, you didn't even want to run a data story about the vaccines and how 40% of people in intensive care at the University of Michigan hospitals had been vaccinated. That's shit the public needs to know. 
Journalism. But you know, Charlie, you got to remember a lot of outlets and a lot of reporters try to make their careers <laughs> on dogging other people and other things, not fact-driven data like you do. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, there's a difference there. Some, you know, people get attention for being critical of other people. Okay, so Maybe you know, that like, was it. yeah. So, no, we don't hate Detroit. We love Detroit, man. We're getting ulcers trying to serve the people of Detroit and Jackson and Lansing and Kalamazoo and Flint. I love you, Flint, and Saginaw and Inkster. We love you. This is why we do it. And if we can get anything done, then all the better. So, Red with an update on the death crack house. Roll it. What does it take to get the police to close down a crack house in the neighborhood where two people were murdered? Apparently, a panther, a reporter, and a protest. Not on this block. That's right. That's Not on this block. That's right. You remember Courtney? The woman with the six-year-old who lived next to the crack house where two people were killed? Courtney says public outrage and threats of protest forced the police to close it down Wednesday night. They got their shit together, so, so they still been chilling up in the crib. Ain't nobody in there. Oh, they gone? Yeah. Well, so when did this happen? Yesterday. Oh, yesterday they came through. Did they do a raid or how did Because I drove through here. I didn't really see nothing going on. What they just? I don't know what it was, but I know ain't nobody in there. No more. They ain't been there since yesterday. Oh, so they didn't even come back the same old trick, huh? First of all, again, let me thank Detroit Red. Let me thank Charlie LaDuff. Let me thank the uh, No BS Hour, the No BS Show. Um, they came here a few days ago and followed up, and they were still open. And we had received some phone calls like two, three days ago that they were still open. Um... The next day after the shooting, the joint should have been closed down. However, we know that DPD, unfortunately, and I'm not making excuses, they're undermanned, they're underwomaned, and they are underpaid. Are they undermanned right now? So, I mean, it, it's no secret. We need more and more and more. That is why we are out in our neighborhoods where the crime is occurring to recruit right from this very spot. So yes, we need help. There is no secret with that. To review, the first crack house was clean. The second crack house was clean. And here's Minister Malik Shabazz mopping up the third. If you need some help with rent support or getting into rehab or a job or GED, Help is available. Okay. All you got to do is call one of those numbers. It got some kind of recognition. Okay. And no matter who came first, I just needed, uh, we all on this block just needed some kind of recognition. Because it's horrible over here. I, like I said, I don't plan on going nowhere no time soon. Um, I own my house. And that's just what it is. I mean, there's a lot of owners on this block that, that probably feel the same way that I do. It's good to know that I believe the last video that we did is what sparked the, put the fire up under everything and made somebody come out here and actually do something. When people ask us at NBN News, why you dogging the city? Don't you love the city? Of course we do. And tonight, Courtney and her baby are sleeping just a little bit easier.
This is Detroit Red with Zach Rowe. Power to the people. Power to the people. Thank you, DPD, for doing what you're supposed to be doing. I know underneath it all, Karen, the police thanked us for that because that's the kind of work they do want to do. Is this correct? Yeah, it, it, it is. And they say all the time it's a partnership between the department and the community. I mean, neither entity can do it alone. Um, so it is an awareness. It's an engagement. It's support. Um, and they can't. I mean, but, you know, people have to understand the crime. Police officers are not the solution to crime. They respond to crime. So there are other factors and other issues um, that also have to be incorporated. I mean, we got 50,000 nonprofit organizations in this state that are supposed to be addressing those 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 compromises that people experience that may lead them to crime. And yet here we are. Yep. So guess what? Like Red said, woman and her child are sleeping a little bit easier. That's what we're about. And you know what else? Before we go, what you doing? What you doing? I didn't tell you to do that. All right. Hey, check the tape. Did What's I tell him to on? do that? What's going on? You're the New York Times. Check the facts. Going by the run. Facts-based journalist. Did I tell him? You did not tell him to do anything. <laughs> no, what the fuck did he do it for? It's on the court. He's fired. You, oh, want, you want a job? See you guys later. Okay. <laughs> see you later. Yeah. I quit. <laughs> One last thing. Um, I'm not sure when the old abortion commercial featuring yours truly will be removed. I know there was a 15-second ad they cut and took me out of it. Remember, I, I said, I don't want to be part of the political game. Don't use my shit. Take me out of the abortion ad against Tudor Dixon for a super PAC that's supporting Whitmer. We, we're down the middle. You don't get to use us. Don't profit off us. So they cut it down to 15 for the Internet and just said it was a coincidence that the part they cut out was me. Okay. Well, the new news is... <laughs> That whole, they spent $4 million. You know, I started in a $4 million commercial. $4 million fucking dollars. Look what I got here. What I got here. I just get fucking nothing. <laughs> nothing. Limp. Shit. I got nothing. Right? So, all the other news stations, man, that didn't get that interview, they're getting paid. To, I can't, it's unbelievable. But anyway, the Democratic Governors Association has put out the press release that that commercial's going away, and a new commercial's coming in. But here's the funny thing. It's the same fucking <laughs> commercial. I'm just not in it. Remember I told you about that kid at Channel 4, and I'm like, hey, why are you saying it's courtesy of us? We didn't give you courtesy to use it. So they put him in it, <laughs> commenting on the story we were doing, so we're still in it, but power to the people. <laughs> power to the people. We made D.C. scumocrats take us out. We for you, not for them. Play it. Here's what it looks like now. Tudor Dixon saying in a recent interview, a teenage victim of sexual assault is a, quote, perfect example of why abortion should be banned. Are you for the exemptions for rape and incest? I am not. No exceptions. No exceptions for rape and incest. Or what about health of the mother? No exceptions. Dixon has been a staunch advocate for banning abortion in Michigan. That position out of step with Michigan. He replaced Dixon. me. That's dangerous. I've been replaced by the young version. <laughs> the younger, cleaner version. Well, it's easier to do You're that. You're irreplaceable, though. Charlie. It was actually, the clip from the show was actually made it a better a better commercial. But, You're right. You know. You're right. The clip did make, I mean, they made a worse commercial with it, but. Because that doesn't resonate because when, no. you, when you're sitting with a candidate and you're it's talking about dry. a 14-year-old niece, I mean, that's pretty, 
brings it home to people. It's obviously easier to cut you out than to do an interview too. Yeah, but I'll say this. I didn't win. You won. They, they didn't take it out because I was yelling. You know, all, what they were afraid of is this. <laughs> That's doing jumping jacks over there. <laughs> the Dove's getting in the way of the message. He's in the way of the message. And they don't want me getting in the way of the message. This is the gateway to you. You, the independent thinker, whether you're, you know, right, a little bit right, a little bit left. The center is really big. The center isn't a dot, right? They're trying to get to you, and they don't need me causing a fuss. So they took me out so they could speak directly to you. And I encourage you, I really do, to listen to what they have to say. You really, you should listen closely and not just the commercials. Educate yourself. Listen to what they have to say. I'm not advocating for either side. I just don't want to be used to get to you because I love and you. Listen to what they don't say. What, what's, yeah, what's I'm saying that, Karen? I'm sorry, Charlie. I, and listen to what they don't say. That's hmm. that's the other thing. Explain. Listen carefully to what they say, but listen to what they don't say as well. Ah, well, don't all politicians not say anything? Isn't that the whole trick of the trade? Delete the emails. It never, it never happened. <laughs> all right, y'all, keep your head. Have a great weekend. Karen, excellent work. Can I hit it now? <laughs> yeah, you can go ahead. <laughs> Lady up. Uh.